Hey, Gray Matters community. This is Charmaine and Ricky of Gray Matters, the blog, and this is a replay of one of our favorite episodes from season one. While we are preparing for season two, please make sure to check out our Instagram page. That's at Gray Matters, the blog, and that's gray with an A, where we will release exclusive content from these episodes and sneak peeks into season two. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gray Matters, the blog. Today, we're here with a very special guest, Dr. Tracy Eberbach. She is a professor of journalism at the University of North Texas. She's a very special place in Ricky and I's hearts. Um, I was introduced to Dr. Eberbach through Tracy, uh, I'm sorry, through Ricky, and um, I actually had her as my professor for an independent study course that I recently took in this last semester. Yes. Hello, everyone. This is Ricky, and I am so excited to introduce Dr. Everbach to the Gray Matters community. I first met Dr. Everbach, I think it was my, yes, it was my sophomore year, um, completing my bachelor's degree at the University of North Texas, and I took her race, gender, in the media course, and it completely, as I told you guys in the last episode, it completely transitioned me on this path to learn more about media studies, women and gender studies, and just the importance and relevance to um, to society as a whole and to my life personally. Um, this course really inspired me to continue my education, like I said before. And so we are so excited to have Tracy here to talk about um, the impact that media has, um, news media, print media, social media on our society, and the importance for us to learn more about its impact, be knowledgeable about its impact. So Dr. Everbach, welcome to the Gray Matters community. Thank you. I'm thrilled to join two of my former students. <laughs> yes, we are so excited. Um, can you let our listeners know a little bit about your background in media, a little bit more about your experience teaching and working in media? Sure. Um, well, I started out as a print journalist, a newspaper journalist, and um, I covered local news, um, started out on the cops and crime beat. So covered lots of murders and fires and crime of all sorts. Um, moved on to cover criminal justice and law um, trials, things like that, courthouse. Um, also spent some time covering government and social services. Um, then I got to a point where I decided I was going to go back to school because I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I worked in media for about 14 years and then went back to school and got a master's and PhD. When I was getting my master's, they asked me to teach a class, a journalism class, and I loved it. And that's when I knew that I wanted to teach. So at first I thought I was just going to teach journalism skills, but then I went on to get the PhD and got very interested in studies about gender and race and um, became a scholar in those areas. And um, well, I, I, I guess the most interesting thing is actually working in the industry and then studying the industry 
makes makes one see the industry from a completely different viewpoint. And I can look back on things that I did and that journalists do that I understand perpetuate a culture in which, which keep oppressed people oppressed. And so I feel very strongly about those issues, which is why I really like teaching now the race, gender, and the media class. I teach some other classes too, but instead of teaching the, just those journalism skills, I like to teach those critical thinking sorts of classes and with an emphasis on media literacy because it's, I think it's so important. Yes, I really appreciate um, kind of the journey of working and then kind of studying your field. I think Charmaine and I both kind of have that, um, kind of have that lens in which we view mm -hmm. our studies in as well. Um, like me coming from a background of marketing and social media and now I'm like in-depthly studying it. I'm like, oh, wow, I see. Like, I recall the meetings. I recall the ideas that, um, like you said, kind of continue on this narrative that can be harmful to a lot of communities of color and marginalized communities in general. And I think part of that is it, along the way of me studying what I realized one of the biggest problems with media and with media that we consume is the lack of representation. Um, and like we said in a previous episode, we it's really important to differentiate between tokenism and representation. And representation means that um, you have like you don't just have that one person that's on your checklist like oh we had a black person check we had a stereotypical uh south asian person check and you're not just going through this and you really try to um move away from you know sexist like sexist representation racist representation homophobia transphobia re representation um and how you really push to um, push to holistically understand, um, you know, women, uh, holistically understand different cultures, different race, ethnicities, different sexual identities. And so um, what is your kind of like take on representation in the media? And, and if so why do you think it's important for us to, as consumers to understand that? Well, you know, as you said, just because you have a seat at the table doesn't mean you really have a voice. So, um, and I actually, that makes me think of a, a former student. I saw a tweet by her. She's wor working in marketing now. And she was saying this as well. You know, I, she's an African-American woman. And just because they hired her doesn't mean that they're going to listen to her. And so I do think it's important and, and, the question of representation is huge because if we aren't representing groups accurately, if we're only representing groups through the lens of a white male viewpoint, which face it, white males dominate the media industry in all areas in, you know, in the news media, in the entertainment media, social media, you know, any, any media you can think of is dominated by white males. And so if we're only looking at groups through a white male lens, we're not going to get an accurate picture of them. That's why it's important to have more of those voices in there um, of non-white people, non-male people. <laughs> um, 
But like I said, um, it's also a matter of listening. And I am encouraged a bit um, of the events of the past few months, weeks maybe, (laughs) that after the death of George Floyd, it seems like a lot more white people and white males are are willing to uh, be more introspective and think about other viewpoints. Um, you know, some obviously are always going to be dug in their trenches, but I have seen quite a few people open up to, oh, maybe I haven't been thinking about this, you know, in a in a fair way, in an empathetic way, and I want to be thinking about this. I want to be more open-minded about this. Um, I don't know if you saw, but there's all these books right now that are like bestsellers, New York Times, like White Fragility and Mm -hmm. Between the World and Me and a bunch of others that, that indicates to me that, you know, white people are listening to other, are, are open to listening to other viewpoints. Um, so that's, a, that's somewhat encouraging, but what's not encouraging is that our system is still set up to uphold the status quo, to mm-hmm. keep those in power, um, have those in power hold on to their power and not really grant power to other groups. And when I say other groups, I mean women, people of color, people of different religions, people of varying sexualities, people with disabilities, um, all of these groups have been and still are oppressed and stereotyped in media. We have made some changes, but not enough to reach equality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's such a valuable perspective that you presented because I think it's often what a lot of people of color or disenfranchised, marginalized communities will kind of, that's a perspective that's very important where it takes a lot of steps and it's going to take a lot of time, but it's, it definitely starts with listening and that's important. And, um, you know, it's, I'd love to get your perspective on this too, because when we were kind of thinking about this and, and thinking about the discussion, it was like this connection with, especially representation has like this connection to cultural studies um, and also the framing. So like how the media definitely we know has an impact on society. And so um, we think about framing and like the possible, is it possible to overcome media bias to provide like these objective representations? Like what you said, where predominantly white men are in control of the media and the narrative that we are all receiving, that we're all, um, you know, just kind of taking in. Um, so yeah, we think a little bit more about framing and what that would look like to actually center those disenfranchised voices and perspectives. We'd love to get your perspective on that. Well, yeah. So as you bring up framing and just for those who don't know what news framing is, um, it's the idea that media perpetuate patterns that help us to shape our, um, opinions and feelings about certain groups or how we should think about certain groups or certain issues. Um, So these frames get perpetuated over and over again until we kind of just accept them as, you know, normal or the truth or, you know, well, that's just the way things are. Mm -hmm. Um, And unless they're challenged, they're just going to keep continuing that way. And I think that um, it's really important for us to be able to challenge 
those notions and ideas and those frames and say, you know, well, wait a minute, are we really representing this accurately? Are we really giving um, a fair representation? So an example I can give you a very simple example is that when scholars study how black men are represented in media over and over again, black men are represented as violent, are represented as criminals, are represented as, you know, someone to be scared of. And we see this replicated again and again through news media, through um, entertainment media, you know, um, and some of that is changing. I just saw the other day that um, a bunch of different news organizations decided they're not going to run those mugshot galleries anymore. You know, like where they'll put up a gallery of a bunch mm -hmm. of people who are wanted for crimes and they're almost always African-American males. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and because I think they're realizing that if you just put a line of African-American pictures of African-American males and say, well, these guys are wanted, it's going to look like, you know, African-American males are criminals and to be feared. So, you know, ways that we can change those frames is in media is to uh, write different, you know, write or uh, produce different kinds of stories that show, you know, African-American African males in a different light um, or any group, show any group in a different light than the way that it's usually framed. Um, same with Hollywood productions, you know, film, um, television, streaming services, whatever, just writing those different kinds of roles and those different kinds of representations. Um, and Charmaine, you did the, the paper on how uh, Muslim women were, were framed, you know, and how they were stereotyped in certain television shows. And then you also looked at how they could be shown in a different light, in a, in a light that shows that they're not just a stereotype, that they're not just, just monolithic, that there's, there's multifaceted um, aspects to every group. So we all need to become more media literate so we can break out of these frames, patterns, stereotypes. Yeah, that's, yeah, thank you for, for giving us that really in-depth perspective. And yes, like Dr. Everbach said, I did, um, write a paper for my independent study. And that was one of the things that it was really looking at how the media and I particularly looked at Orientalism and how that has um, kind of reinforced stereotypes around representations of Muslim women, particularly I looked specifically at examples in television series in the United States and United Kingdom. But I think one of the really powerful messages that you were telling us about as well is how those stereotypes have been reinforced over and over and also how um, listening and like you said, I think that was so powerful, like you said, that having a seat at the table does not necessarily mean that you have a voice at the table or that your perspective will be heard. Um, and I think that does to some extent go back to what Ricky was saying about tokenism versus representation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really interesting because even within kind of dismantling these stereotypes and, and various perspectives, it's, it's 
um, it, it's a few steps. And the first step is definitely acknowledging that those stereotypes and that framing and representation uh, or lack of accurate representation exists. And then the second thing that you said, um, which was really valuable, um, was media literacy. And Ricky's going to go into a little bit more um, about that as well. Yes. So I really appreciate the idea of, of um, teaching media literacy on a global scale. I know that's very radical of me saying, but I just, after learning about media literacy for my, like in class and for myself, I just couldn't stop myself from telling other people about it because it's so important. And part, kind of like part of understanding media literacy is understanding everything that we're talking about here today. It's understanding that the media frames, like the media can frame different narratives that change your, that kind of um, framing affects your perspective or pers affects your lens of what we call in MWGS, the lens in which you see the world in. And Dr. Everbach, you gave a great example of like, if you continue to see like a whole lineup of mug shots and they're all African-American male in your brain, you're going to say, well, African-American males are criminals. And then you see that kind of extend out into conversation into society and you see it turn into, you know, police brutality. You see it turn into these different social justice um, conversations that we're having about systemic issues embedded in our society. Um, and part of that too is, you know, we talked about representation and the term symbolic annihilation. And this is a term uh, for those who don't know it, 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 it's basically the absence of representation, the absence of um, different narratives. And you kind of have this, um, this same narrative over and over again, uh, whether it be a stereotypical, stereotypical narrative or a male, like a white male Eurocentric narrative, whatever the narrative is, you see that. You see the stereotypes and the lack of representation. And when I learned about media literacy and the fact of learning about all of these tools, I couldn't help but think if we all were media, if we all were media literate, will that, would that then spark change? And I think that goes into the conversation where we had where with, um, with the last episode with, about Harry Potter uh, with the girls from HB Half Drunk about where do we start with? And we start with understanding that this is not a personal experience, like me not seeing myself on, like on a TV show growing up as a superhero or as someone who is beautiful or as a princess is not a personal experience. It's something that's systemic. And I think, and you can tell us what you think about this too. I think media literacy is kind of a tool that we can use to help start those conversations and help introduce people to this idea that this is a systemic problem. This is a problem embedded in our society. It's not something that, um, that Charmaine or myself can kind of like, it's not something that we need to fix in ourselves. And I think that also goes into the conversation of who's responsible for the, yeah. like, is it up to us as an individual to be media literate or is it up to the people creating the media like we said it's mainly white males we use the term squamp in your class uh, and that's the straight um christian white, white 
uh, able-bodied, you know, heterosexual male who owns property. Like those are the people that run our society. Is it up to them or is it on the individual? So I just would love your perspective on that and what your thoughts are. Well, I I mean, I've been in favor of teaching media literacy to children. I Mm -hmm. think that it should be taught at a young age. Um, I think that children need to be aware of what they're being fed. Um, and, and you can see the same stereotypes repeated on programs and movies created for children. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do think, you know, if, so if, if there's a way to put it in schools, that would be great. If parents can teach it, that's great too. I, I know that some of the students that I've had who have children have said that they've talked with their kids about, you know, well, what are we watching? What are we seeing? Why do you, why do you think it's being represented this way? Just get them to ask questions and understand about issues of diversity and, you know, why maybe they don't see people who look like them. Um, I, I, I know that, and, and some kids are getting this. I know a few years ago, I was asked to go talk to a Girl Scout group um, about body image. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, this will be interesting. You know, we're going to have to see. And, and, and I was so impressed that these girls already, they were like 10, 11 years old and they already knew like, well, these images, cause we brought a bunch of magazines and we looked at them and they're like, well, this girl is Photoshop. Nobody was really that skinny. Um, you know, <laughs> they're like, how come they're all white? And I was like, yeah. Whoa. Well, these wow. something. And so I don't think it really takes that much to, to teach kids to see those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we don't have to re-educate them when they get to college yes. get, or, or yeah. re-educate them when they're 40 and say, well, like, wait a minute. Um, you know, or, you know, so, so I, I would, I, I think these ideas need to be shared much more widely in society, that we need to have a lot more awareness of it. Um, and I know that we as scholars of this stuff sort of think, oh, well, everybody knows that. And they don't. <laughs> and yes, so- they don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like you find that out. Like I found that out in your class when someone yeah. asked how many minorities in a movie to be happy and I was like I was like wow like you really don't know you know like you really you really think it's like I I was just shocked and that's when I that's when I was like I have to go teach this because like if you that like I should know that guy should know <laughs> <laughs> that's what no I I mean I think that guy was trying to antagonize you um I, I I think I think he knew full well what he was asking. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah, and I think like I mean, we even encounter this in MWGS where sometimes some conversations brought up in our class setting were like, whoa, yeah. That's being said in a M in a sorry, we keep saying in a multicultural yes. women and gender class. Like, are you sure that that just happened now? And I think those little moments is what kind of I guess I'm kind of like a, I'm like a, I'm a fighter in that sense because I'm like, okay, I need to stay in this because like, even if you don't, even if you know, you shouldn't say that, or even if you know what you're saying, I need to continue to build a platform to um, continue to not speak over, but continue to talk about it 
so that in a sense, like the center, yeah, to center, exactly. To center this narrative so that even if you, so that you, the person saying those things become so uncomfortable that they don't want to say it, if that makes sense. There's something said when they feel comfortable enough to say things that they know they shouldn't say, especially in, I was like, we're in race, gender, and the media studies, and you're asking me that, or we're in multicultural women and gender studies, and you're asking us that, and you're going to say that comment, and I just, I want to push push these narratives we're talking about, push these conversations to prompt uncomfortability of those voices that shouldn't say certain, you know, derogatory or racial, racial, you know, sexist remarks. I think, I think, yeah. I mean, don't let up. (laughs) Don't let up. That's what I've learned. Just don't, I mean, they're going to come back over and over and over again and don't let up. No, thank you. That's (laughs) so, I appreciate that. That's so powerful. And that's so true because it's, yeah, like you said, Ricky, sometimes we're kind of at a a loss when we're like, wait, we thought that you knew better. We we thought that we've moved past this. But um, I think a lot of what you pointed to, Dr. Everbeck, tells us that actually it's because these narratives have been centered. It's because of the voices that are in power that continue to perpetuate and reproduce these concepts. And I think it also links to kind of Ricky and I talk, we talked a little bit about this in uh, in our two-part series about um, why I'm an activist, but we also, it's like, it's kind of a theme throughout our podcast, but it's like bridging these spaces between academia and activism. And I, I almost want to extend that and say just beyond activism, it's bridging these ideas between academia and like non-academic culture. And so in a lot of ways, um, we study this and then we want to bring it out in the world. And like what you were talking about, Dr. Everbach, with your experience, with Ricky and I, with our experience, where we kind of got our education, went out into like the quote unquote real world and corporate world and saw things differently and then felt a need to kind of come back to academia and connect these spaces. And in many ways, we came back to academia and realized that all these experiences that we had, like Ricky, you said that they're not always systemic or that they're not always personal, they're systemic. All these experiences that we had, they have words. We have words to describe them. There are theories that support um, these experiences that mm-hmm. m- a lot of people are having. And these are based off of um, a system that enforces and reproduces those experiences. Yeah. And I think when you're in academia, and I get this all the time, because I feel like in every class, I'm always bringing up well, the media it, it, and, and well, social media, like I'm yeah. always bringing up those, I, Charmaine can attest to this in every class. I'm like, well, guys, like media literacy. And I found it's this very common theme in academia to stay in academia, if that makes sense. They want you to focus on publishing works. They want you to focus on just, you know, staying in an academic space. And, you know, my goal is to be a professor one day. So of course I love academia. But Charmaine and I were like, okay, if we stay in academia, how do we expect change? If we just keep all of this knowledge to ourselves, like if we just um, stay in our own little bubble and not tell people, how do we expect, like we keep, we keep at the end of every paper, we're like tools you can use to change, but we don't (laughs) give those tools to the world so that they can change. It just stays within like 
in academia for another researcher to pull up your article and be like, oh yeah, I know about this. I you can know? cite this. Yes, I can cite this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I feel like what powerful activists have done is they found ways to like, like we talk about to bridge that space. Uh, like Kimberly Crenshaw, she found way everyone uses intersectionality like it's on t-shirts it's like it's like <laughs> everywhere now you know and she found a way to kind of implement um that space and i would love to see media literacy on a t-shirt i'm thinking about putting it on a t-shirt <laughs> um and getting it out there because i'm like this is a term that people should be using as much as they use you know all the other buzz terms i can't think of one like you know I don't know, feminism, womanism, as much as they use all the other buzz terms, I think that this is a term that you need to use because the media is everywhere, like especially social media. Social media is such a huge thing. Now it's everywhere and people are constantly on their phones implemented into it. Um, so I just want to like, what are some like advice that you would give to someone working in media, um, to consumers of media, to kind of, um, move towards being a media literate person in our society? Okay. Well, first I want to say, I mean, don't think that academia is, is free from these kinds of power structures oh, no. too. It is, a, it yeah. is an ivory tower. The ivory tower itself. for a reason. It is, yeah. it's, it is an ivy tower in itself. But I do, but I do um, love the fact that you want to make re it sounds to me like what you're saying is you want to make research available to the public so public can actually use it mm -hmm. industry can actually use it and i think i agree with you so much that's so important and you know we've tried to do research in in my uh journalism department at unt that actually will help the industry and i can tell you about a study that we did um couple years ago, we were actually asked by the local newspaper, the big local newspaper, to look at their representation and to look at what they were producing and who they were highlighting and those kinds of things. And we did, and there was a team of us, and we did an in-depth study of their content and we found that they were emphasizing just as just as we thought we were going to find mostly white males in every single area i mean in news in sports in arts and entertainment in business and you know that and and the good news is that they took our findings to heart and they tried to make an effort to diversify their coverage and not just go to the usual suspects. And they actually told their reporters to keep track of who they were talking to on stories and to try to, you know, not just go to the same white male sources all the time, but to reach out to people of color, to reach out to women, to reach out to, you know, unlikely sources that they hadn't used before. And there actually is a movement in some news media now to, to do that, to audit, for journalists to audit their own work and think about who they're covering and how they're representing people, which is a positive thing. And I think that that idea came from academia. You know, here's, here's how you can diversify your sources and here's how you can represent communities in fair ways. 
And I have noticed a change because of that. So I do think that some of the ideas about making journalists more literate, making the public more literate so that they can push back. I mean, some of the entertainment shows have changed because public has mm -hmm. pushed back and said, right. well, we want to see more of this. We want to see, you know, um, we want to see more shows about black women in power. I mean, there's, there's a, quite a few of them right now about black women judges and about black women um, district attorneys that, you know, there weren't those shows before. So um, I do think that some people are becoming more literate and, and realizing that uh, we need to, to have some new narratives and some interesting ideas. Um, an example I'll give, a, a really good example I'll give is, I don't know, have you guys seen the Netflix series Unbelievable? Yes, I saw yeah. it. Yes, great show. Okay. I just wrote a, a, a book chapter about this, actually, and how it's such a different narrative than we've seen before. So it's, it's about a rape case, mm -hmm. um, and it's about a, a young woman who got raped, and the police you know, just treated her like dirt and badgered her and didn't believe her until they badgered her until she recanted her story. And not only that, then they filed a charge of a false report against her, mm. even though she was the victim. Right. But my chapter was about how this, the, the series um, controverts rape myths, because then what happens is these two badass women detectives are are investigating another rape case and somehow they connect all these cases together well not somehow they're smart enough <laughs> that they that they that they um, find all these cases that are linked together and they catch this serial rapist and it turns out to be the same guy who raped the woman who the police badgered mm. and um it just shows how you know, we've bought into these myths about rape for years and years and years that, you know, it's, it, uh, women asked for it, it's their fault, they lie about it. Um, and if we can have more representations like that, I think we can start getting rid of these notions. It can start people thinking in a different way. Mm -hmm. I hope that people who watch Unbelievable start thinking about it in a different way. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's also, I, I felt like even me watching that show, I was like, wow, this is amazing, because there's so many aspects of my life where I feel, I kind of felt like society, like, it makes you question yourself, even in my own personal life, there's so much, you know, even, and this is every aspect, mental health, I'm like, oh, yeah you know, you know, I have anxiety, but it's not as bad as, it, oh, I don't know if that it's really, it makes you like question yourself in every aspect, in every incident. And I feel like that's because I am, you know, I'm a woman and I'm black and I'm in America. And because of who I am and because I don't fit the role of power in America or the role, the majority voice who actually is heard and seen and believed, I constantly question myself in every aspect and I really appreciated that series because it was something different. I was like, wow. Yes. Oh, oh, Tracy's holding <laughs> up her. Yes. She's going to tell is, us about. This is not, 
This is not my book. Um, This is a book that just came out that I got and it's called Believe Me, Mm. How Trusting Women Can Change the World. Yes. Jessica Valenti and Jacqueline Friedman and it has has a bunch of essays in it from like feminist thinkers, but it's really awesome about why women haven't been believed. I mean, and we can look back at the Anita Hill case when Clarence Thomas was getting uh, confirmed and then to Christine Blasey Ford when... Kavanaugh was getting confirmed to the Supreme Court and it's all in here and there's stuff about the Me Too movement and Toronto Burke and it's a really good book so I recommend Believe Me. Perfect. Thank you. We will link to that as well (laughs) on our website and our social media so everybody can get back to that. But yeah, I think Ricky and I were talking about this in another perspective or in another respect too with just believing stories of, Mm -hmm. of, we were talking specifically about people of color but um, this applies to women as well, like just believing women and believing their stories and why, for example, the Me Too hashtag was so important and it was so disruptive to this narrative, to the norm, because it was, yeah, it was just saying that we have to believe these stories and that's yeah. so important. Yeah. And I, I think it also, I was going to say it, I think it also goes into conversation with the Black Lives Matter movement too, right. and brutality, because what I'm hearing so much is well what did he do or what did she do or if she would have just you know if he like you know like all of these little remarks about well if they would have just complied or if they would have not been speeding or if they wouldn't have been you know all of these narratives where it's like you're if questioning she didn't get drunk yes, she wouldn't she have been raped exactly or if what did she have on i remember that was a yeah. conversation in our class where um someone said well what does she have on when we were talking about rape and and they were like well women need school reg- school uniform regulations because boys can't control themselves and they need to you know this is why women need to have more regulations than boys this is why you can't wear spaghetti straps because boys can't control themselves and it's like at what apologist point- almost well, yeah well, this this is why it's important for us as you all are both going to be professors and you're going to be teaching young people to teach people to say well wait a minute why shouldn't we be saying why can't a boy control himself instead of saying why is she tempting that boy no Mm -hmm. why can't he control himself i i think that he can you know keep it in his pants you know i mean (laughs) and and it's the same thing like you said with these um with, with the, the people who are, are killed by the police, um, people of color killed by the police. It's like, well, why did he resist arrest? But that's not the question. Why did the, why did the police kill him? Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Why did uh-huh. they, oh, well, he grabbed the taser. That, the, the cop knows that a taser can't kill you. So why did the police officer have to use deadly force? Exactly, right? yeah. And so, so just turning it around and trying to get people to think a different way and just posing. I always find that like posing a question to somebody and asking them, why do you, why do you think that? Sometimes it's hard that just that will make them think, you know, well, well, why do you think that? Because a lot of things, as we've been talking about, a lot of the things that we think we just learned from society, you know, social cognitive theory. Um, we just learn these things from society and we just accept them as, well, that's just the way things are. Well, 
so what if you challenge them and say, well, why, why is it that way? You know, I, I think that that's what really can get people to start thinking and changing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. And I think that starts with being able to question that and having the confidence question that starts with you yourself, um, like using the, like so many resources out there for you to have confidence enough and knowledge enough to question that. Cause I think for, for me personally, I, it was in the back of my mind when I was younger, but I didn't have the confidence to be like, wait a minute. I know now I know because I read this book, I read this article, I attended this lecture, I, you know, watched this video, I saw this documentary. And I know that uh, for Charmaine and I, one of the resources that we found really helpful for um, studying race, um, gender in the media is actually a book called <laughs> Gender, Race, and Class in the Media. It's a critical reader. It's by um, Dines and Humes. Humes? Mm -hmm. And um, and this book actually helped both of us write our, our independent studies that um, that we um, that we worked on the articles. Mine was, we talked about Charmaine's article. Um, mine was specifically on um, Missy Elliott and the representation of her from the 90s until now and how it's kind of changed and how um, the effect that that had on the image, on her image as a woman in hip hop, um, as a queer black woman in hip hop. Um, are there any other resources that you, um, that you would have, I know you said, believe me, is there any other, you know, books or resources, materials that our community can read or listen to, to kind of help? Well, this one is by me. <laughs> no, um, this is a book that I, it's an edited book that I did with another UNT professor called Mediating Misogyny, Gender Technology and Harassment. And it's all about women on the internet and how they get harassed and doxxed and and it also provides solutions on what to do about it so that's by Jacqueline Vickery and me media and misogyny um this is a book that I use a lot as you can probably see <laughs> has lots of marketing. we love notes <laughs> <laughs> this is doing news framing analysis so this is actually a good book for scholars if they want to um, you know, study framing, news framing, in particular news media framing. So that's by Paul D'Angelo and Jim Kuypers, K-U-Y-P-E-R-S. Um, then, as I said, we mentioned before that uh, the book White Fragility, which um, I think is an excellent start. Um, probably for, you know, for you all, it's, it's probably way more advanced than you want. But I actually had a, a colleague of mine who um, teaches public relations was looking for the book. I guess it's sold out everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I had a copy of it and I just drove up to Plano uh, a couple days ago to loan her a copy of the book because she and her husband wanted to read it, which wow. I really think is cool. And she said, she was telling me, you know, like her husband's conservative and he's was raised as a Southern Baptist and all this stuff. And, but he wants to read it because his son, <laughs> his son plays on the football team and um, he's, his son's white and a lot of the football players are black and the dad feels like the, the, his son's friends are like sons to him. And suddenly he's, his eyes have opened up and have said, well, wait a minute. I, I 
that would really bother me if I saw Omar get pulled over or if something happened to Omar just because he's black, you know, and sometimes it just takes something like that to wake up, to wake people up. So I thought it was really cool that they wanted to borrow that book from me. Um, I I love Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, Between the World and Me. So I recommend people read that. Um, My own husband read that a few years ago. And um, I think it was a big awakening for him. My husband's white, um, like me, but um, <laughs> he, he, knows, he knows the kind of work I do and he's become much more aware of it. And he wanted to read that book. And, and I remember when he was reading it, he's like, this is really disturbing me. I, I, feel, I feel, you know, it's making me feel really uncomfortable. And I'm like, good, yeah. it should. <laughs> and, and now he, you know, and now he says like, wow, I'm glad I read that because I think I understand a lot more now. And so I think, I think just listening to other people's perspectives, reading books, watching movies, watch 13th, watch the documentary 13th. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a couple of other documentaries I love, which like for men, what I find men like is um, the mask you live in. Oh yeah, we watched that in your class. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which it's 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 interesting because it's perspective on what kind of pressures men are under in society to be tough and to not show emotion. And it even goes in, you know, to like men of color are even su- subject to more pressure. And um, so that's a good one. There's a there's one called misrepresentation about how women are portrayed in media. So there's there's a lot of resources out there if people want to seek them out if they're if they're curious. You know, some people are never going to be curious. So whatever. But <laughs> but it, you know, it, if people are curious and they want to learn more, which which I'm seeing more and more of, I think they are. And um, I, I think that they have a lot of resources that they can, they can find. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. That was, that's a great list of resources. Again, we will link those on our website and on our social media. So that way you will have access to them as well. Um, but thank you. That's, that's a wonderfully like extensive list. And um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. We're just, we love, we love, books and yes we you love know documentaries resources and, yes like yeah if you like for me if what changed me is I'm a I'm a bookworm and what yeah. changed me is reading books and learning more and even you know one time I was asked you know I'm black why don't I know more about black history and I'm like um because I grew up in Eurocentric school <laughs> learning environments, but I took it upon myself to, you know, learn more, yeah. learn more about, um, about Black history. Because, and I think as I'm learning more, I'm having more, it's making me learn more about how Eurocentric and whitewashed our education system is. And it's right. making me have more because before I used to really beat myself up a lot. I'm like, why don't I know this? You know, I'm black. I'm so upset. But in reality, like when I step out of it, I'm like, this is the education system I had. Like the only time I remember learning about black history is learning about the slaves and then Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. And then that's it. It's, it's all over. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Um, so I think there's power in being able to, 
um, seek out education and seek out resources and not necessarily, um, like we said before, we're not telling like people of color that it's their responsibility to educate others, but it's more educate yourself so you mm -hmm. have the confidence to push others, like so that you have the, comp the confidence to push others into being uncomfortable and yeah. being okay to be uncomfortable by you speaking mm -hmm. up about things that they say and mm -hmm. actions that they take place. Um, and yeah. so eventually you become confident enough to have a seat at the table. Um, so yeah. we are so grateful that you were able to talk to the Gray Matters community today. Um, like we said before, Dr. Everbach is a professor at UNT. So all of our UNT listeners, if you have room in your schedule to yes. take one of her courses, take one of her courses. Yes. It is amazing. I think you're offering race, gender, and the media this fall, right? Yes. She yes. is offering and I already it. have a TWU student who's taking it. Wow. wow. Look at That's that. Wonderful. Yes. TWU students, you, there's, um, this program called the Federation, if you don't know about it. Um, it's Google Federation, TWU, and it will come up in, you're allowed to take UNT courses. So even TWU students, if you're listening, you can take the race, gender, and the media course. I know for me, it really impacted um, my life and how I view the world. And then Charmin and I both did independent studies with Dr. Everbach, and that really had a huge impact. And as we said before, we will list all the resources on our resources page at graymattersblog.com. That's gray with an A. And we will also have linked to Dr. Everbach's UNT profile. So if you want to learn more about her and the great and awesome work she's doing, that's available. Um, we are so excited that we're going to have more series about, you know, about education and about learning more about different narratives on our Instagram. That's Gray Matters. The blog, um, if you have any questions, leave us a comment on there or feel free to email us at graymatters.theblog at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening in and we will talk to you next time. Bye.